0: Well, as I consider my life, I must confess, I'm so blessed. I'm swimming in blessing, and we all are. We can't count all of our blessings. There's just way too many of them. And one of the ways that the Lord has showered me with blessings is to make me the youngest in my family that I grew up in. The youngest of three sons, the, the youngest of a family of five, and, and my older brothers have been a wonderful gift for me all of my life. They were a great blessing from the Lord because they they went before me. They were several years older than me, so they kind of cut a path. They went forth. They showed me how to live. They showed me how to forge a way within my own family of how I might please my parents and, and also how I might displease them. But really, they were just a great blessing to show me how to act and to live and to carry myself, to obey and to serve and, and how to face adversity. But of course, they did this imperfectly with many failures and many hard days and nights, but they were a tremendous blessing. And as we look at Hebrews chapter 11 this morning in one sermon, one of the most important things that God is teaching us by His Word that blesses us tremendously is the truth that we who are of the household of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have brothers and sisters who have gone before us to show us how to go. They've plowed the way for us. They've forged a path before us of examples of what it means to live by faith, to walk by faith, to show us how to live and how to walk and how to please the Lord and how to live a life of faith in a fallen and sinful and broken world that hates the faith. What a blessing How to endure the the darkness of this fallen world and to hold fast to the promised one. And yet, of course, they had feet of clay. They were sinners. They were fallen themselves in need of God's gift of grace in Christ Messiah, the promised one, who was to come and who came. And they lived out of that faith by the power of the Spirit. And they walked by faith, having set their hope on things not yet seen. Things promised that they didn't receive in this life. And don't we do the same thing, brothers and sisters? As we live out our lives in the grips of faith and grace and the already and the not yet, we look forward to things that we won't inherit until we go forth and crossed the Jordan and are received into the presence of Christ. So there's so much for us to see here. So give attention to the reading of God's Word, Hebrews 11. We're going to read verses 1 to 16, and then we'll drop down to the last two verses of the chapter to close out our message. Hear God's Word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Amen. The word of the Lord to us. Well, here we are, digging digging in deep. We're well into our study of Hebrews, and now we come to this great chapter, chapter 11 which is often referred to as the Hall of Faith or the Hall of Faith fame because it recounts so many stories of saints of old who were trophies of God's amazing grace. And we're hitting this message in one chapter, or this, uh, this uh, one chapter is getting one uh, sermon because we've just recently done a, an entire series on Hebrews 11. So if you want to have a deep dive, then go and listen to those sermons. But what we're hit with right off the bat as we open up this chapter is the main theme of Hebrews is that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. That's the very first verse. And that brings us to our first main point this morning the glorious truth of this. The gift of living faith enables us to see the invisible. The gift of living faith enables us, enables believers to see the invisible. And as we look at the glory of this hall of faith fame and we see these brothers and sisters, these wonderful stories and, and the way that they lived and acted in this world, it's like we, we are lifting up a, a diamond, this glorious thing called faith in the promised one. And as you're looking at a diamond and you turn it in the sunlight, you see the sparkle of the cuts and the facets. And yet each of those cuts and facets are are all part of the one diamond, the one thing. And you see the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the sum and the substance of true and living faith. He is the author and the perfecter of faith. But we're all... Brought together in Him by the power of the Spirit and the gift of faith. So that as we see these brothers and sisters, as we see their trials, we see individual aspects of faith represented in their lives, that together as a chapter it shows us this full orb glory of what it means to have living faith in this faithless world. And you see, it all begins with the glorious gift of regeneration. There is no living faith without the Holy Spirit giving new life to a heart. There is no faith without the Spirit. And so the Spirit comes forth and gives new life, regeneration. A dead heart is made a living heart. A hard heart is made a heart of flesh. And and with that comes a, a glorious gift of new eyes to see things, to see the invisible, And living faith comes with the gift of a new new mouth with new appetites and new desires. It's because of the promised one. The gift of living faith and a a new heart with new eyes and, and a new mouth with new appetites, hungers for Christ and the promises of Christ so that things come alive and we begin to walk and live Seeking the glory of the Lord and to leave behind the old life. And we are confronted with the reality that all that we see and all that we encounter is because of God. He's the creator of everything. He's behind everything. He is the giver of life. And hallelujah, he is the creator and the giver of new life. Resurrection life. So, faith enables the people of God to see the invisible because it gives us spiritual understanding of God's Word. God's Word is not just letters on a page, just ink and page. No, they're living. They show us glorious things. We understand that God is the great Savior, He's the one that calls us to Himself. And so, with such a new heart, with new eyes, and new appetites, faith. It looks radically different than the world. It looks radically different than than the watching world. Well, how is that so? Well, by faith we hope in God. Don't we see that right off the bat in verse 1 as we read this? By faith we hope in God. Paul writes to us from Romans 8. He says, For in this hope we were saved. That is the hope of Christ, the hope of heaven. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? You see, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ is not right here in our presence in the flesh. We don't see him with the eyes of the flesh. It takes the the eyes of living faith to see him, to hope in him. And that's what Peter is driving home in 1 Peter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the gift of faith in the promised one allows by God's grace and mercy the the heart to come alive, to see, to be filled by the spirit, to long for, to look for the promised one. The promise of Messiah. So that our faith is more precious than all the gold and all the world because it's our faith that attaches us to the most precious thing, Jesus. So if you have a heart of faith and you have these new eyes that you see and hope for him alone, then you'll be led to look very different than the watching world because you'll be led to truly worship. Isn't that what we see in verse 4? By faith we worship God Don't we see that in the life of Abel right here by faith he offered up true worship you know only those who have living faith in the promised one rightly worship because faith and worship are two sides of the same coin they they go together always you can't truly worship if you don't have true wor- true faith you must have living faith to truly worship and those who worship do so faith, it's, it's not just merely an intellectual belief in God or the, the gospel facts, but it's a knowing them and loving them and trusting them so that you are transformed and you're led to give your heart to the Lord in worship. Isn't that what Abel did? He acted upon the promised word of the one who would come. No doubt, Adam and Eve told Cain and Abel about the glorious promise that they received right at the fall. That right at the fall that they would receive one day through the seed of the woman, one who would crush the head of the seed of the serpent, a deliverer. And so Abel, believing and rejoicing and seeing that, came forth offering right worship with a heart of living faith. And so he offered up The better sacrifice. One with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And it was a powerful witness. And that's what we see. By faith, we witness for God. By faith, we witness for God. We see it in verse 5, we see it in verse 7 in the lives of Enoch and Noah. Enoch lived in the last generation before the flood, before the destruction of the world because of God's judgment. And in the New Testament letter of Jude, we read that Enoch was a great and mighty prophet who spoke against the wickedness of the fallen world and made testimony about God. And just like Noah, he was one filled with the Holy Spirit. As Peter declares in 2 Peter 1, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So do you see that by living faith we bear witness with our words and with our very lives? Isn't this what Noah did? By God's gracious gift of faith sealed to Noah's heart and life, what did he do? He preached a sermon through his work. He obeyed God. By faith, we obey God. And he got to work on the ark, and it was foolish in the eyes of the fallen world, but his faith was active. It was living. It was hope-filled as he labored. Even in the midst of that ridicule and persecution, they thought he was stupid and crazy to build an ark on dry land. What are you doing? But Noah trusted the Lord, and by faith he obeyed. You see, obedience is not just a matter of following rules, but it flows from the heart, a heart that trusts the Lord, loves the Lord, seeks the Lord, and has a fear, a holy reverence for the Lord. So as we follow along in the footsteps of our elder brothers and sisters, we too follow God. And you see, that's what we see. Living faith hears the great calling of the Lord. Follow me. Don't we see that in Abraham? Verse 8. By faith we follow God. What an example he is. The father of the faithful. Verses 8 to 10, you know, Abraham obeyed and he heard the call and he followed the Lord and he went out to a place he had no idea where he was going. He left his homeland and he went forth into the the darkness, as it were, to a place that God would show him. You see, living faith always involves following the Lord because it's evidence of our trust in God to hear the Lord's call, to obey the Lord's word, and to follow God even when we don't understand what it is he's doing or his plan. You know, as we reflect on Abraham's faith, let's ask ourselves the question, are we willing to follow the Lord where he calls us to go, even when we don't understand what's happening or where he's leading us? We do so because he gives us the ability to see through the darkness with the eyes of faith to trust him. You see, hallelujah, by God's grace, he has such a people as these. The household of faith, his people in the Old Testament that looked and longed for the coming of Messiah, the promised one, as well as the people of the New Testament who beheld the Christ in his flesh, in his glory, as he was living and acting, as he fulfilled the covenant of grace by his lifeblood. And hallelujah, brothers and sisters, God has a people, as those here captured in Hebrews 11, like us, who don't lay physical eyes on the Messiah, and yet we trust and we love and we believe. And God is pleased with us for one reason and one reason only. He's well pleased with his Son, and the gift of faith attaches us to his Son Well, that brings us to our second main point. Those who live by faith please God, who blesses them in Christ. The author of Hebrews makes it clear that faith is essential to pleasing God. Without the gift of living faith, you cannot please God because living faith is what acknowledges God as who He is, that He exists. That he acts in this world. That he has made promises. And it also acknowledges that he is sovereign and can deliver on his promises. It pleases the Lord. You see, faith says amen to God's amen. The Father's amen is Jesus. And faith says amen to the Father's amen, Jesus. And you see, by faith, we receive God's promise. That's what we read about in Romans chapter 3. And that's what we see right here. Verse 6, And without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Isn't it interesting? Verse 2 there in Hebrews 11 declares, The people of old received their commendation, their justification through faith. What a clear and unambiguous declaration. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We see the glory of this in verse 6, that the opposite is equally clear. If you have triumphant faith, living faith, the gift of faith in Christ, you are pleasing to God, the Father Almighty. And as it was with with the saints of old in this chapter, God was pleased. He was pleased with them and he declared them to be right before him, to be righteous before them because of their faith, which attached them to the pleasing one, not because of their works, but because of the works of Messiah. Messiah. You know Paul is abundantly clear as I've already said in Romans 3 which we read that Old Covenant Saints and New Covenant Saints Old Testament Saints and New Testament Saints are all saved only through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only Savior of sinners. He's the ark of salvation. I love what Augustine the great Latin church father declared robustly often. The old covenant is the new covenant concealed. And the new covenant is the old covenant revealed. And this is glorious. But you see, with the coming of Christ, He fulfilled all righteousness in His life, in His, in his death at the cross, His burial, and His resurrection. And He ascended on high... Into the heavenly temple, as the author of Hebrews has already gloriously shown us in chapters 8, 9, and 10, Christ ascended on high in his resurrected glorified body, baptized in the blood of the covenant, and stood before the Father of glory and declared, It is finished. I've done everything necessary to have my bride. So he petitioned the Father, send forth the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so that the kingdom could be blown wide open. And it wouldn't just be located in one family, Israel, or one city like Jerusalem. But it would be global. So that we go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. Jesus. The object of our faith. The sum and the substance of our life. And that's why we call everyone to come And receive and rest in God's promise. And that's what faith does. Faith rests in God's promise. We rest in Christ alone and and who He is and what He's done, not in our own abilities. This is good news. The good news of the gospel. You see, true faith doesn't demand that God get right with us on our own terms. I mean, can you imagine getting the the most perfect and pure gift ever. And then telling the gift giver, just wait a minute, let me go add something to it, then it'll be good. No, it's all a gift. We come to the Lord, we declare, I'm a helpless sinner under judgment and all I have is Christ. So I receive him, I rest in him, I cling to him. And, and such a triumphant faith that pleases the Lord, that receives God's promise, that rests alone in Christ is a life of trust. That's what we see through this hall of faith, fame, and these brothers and sisters, they had lives of trust, hearts of trust. They trusted in God's promise even in the midst of the darkness. They had hard lives. By faith, we trust in God's promise and the darkness of life. You know, even though we may ignore them, Each and every day, God reminds us that we live out our lives under the shadow of death. We try to deny it. We try to push it away from before us. But it's a reality. Death is all around us. We live out our lives under the shadow of death. But like our brothers and sisters of old who were filled with the gift of living faith, we live by faith so that we trust in God's promise even though we move through the darkness Of this life lived out under the shadow of death. Because the gift of living faith doesn't fear death because it cannot die. Living faith cannot die because remember it is attached and it is rooted in the resurrected one forever and ever. The one who declared that he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him though he die yet shall he live. So such a trusting faith that's rooted in the resurrected one is an enduring faith. Don't we see that throughout this entire chapter? By faith we endure by the power of God's promise. We see that especially in verse 13. As believers daily rest in Christ and trust in God's word, he's well pleased to give us Holy endurance. You know, holy endurance, the gift of living faith through the gift of the Holy Spirit is like the awesome tractor beam that just keeps pulling God's people through the darkness and the trials of their lives all the way home to heaven. That was the case for all of these saints of old. As we read in verse 13, these all died in faith. How glorious. They died in faith. Glory, hallelujah. However, they had not received fully that which had been promised. But verse 16 tells us, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, faith endures trials and sufferings, and that's what... Hebrews 11 shows us. It enables the saints to endure because we know that God is with us in all of our trials and he leads us through them. The invisible hand of the Lord, of the Spirit leading us. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No trial. No trial. No persecution, no suffering, no sorrow will keep you from Christ. Faith endures all the way home to a place that the Lord has prepared for those who love Him and believe in Him and live lives of living faith. Do you believe this? This is glorious. But I have to say that when I look at my own life, when I I look at the body of Christ, when I look at our fellow saints of old, I see the reality that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We're weak. We're hypocritical. We're often disobedient. We're selfish. We're shameful. And I wonder why. Why would God the Father give the gift of his Son and the gift of of Holy Spirit-wrought faith to save and to sanctify people like you and me. I love roses. That might sound kind of odd, not real masculine, but I love them. I started growing them 10 years ago. They're exciting. They're mysterious. And I love watching them even throughout the winter To see the first greening up of the rose vines. Because that means something else is coming. The buds are coming. And then we're in the middle of it right now. It's starting the explosion to our senses. The colors, the smell, the touch. It's the glory. Well, why do I get excited about roses? You know, when when looking at roses in the wintertime, they're, they're not much different than a thorny pricker vine. You know, a rambling rose or a climbing rose in the winter, it just looks like a, a bramble with thorns. But I get excited about them because I've seen them in their glory. I've experienced the glory. My favorite rose is called the Awakening, it's beautiful. But in the winter, it, is, it has the biggest thorns, it's the worst of all of them. It's ugly. But it awakens to this glory. And you see, the Lord Jesus, with his perfect knowledge and the the glorious unveiling of his perfect plan, he looked at us in our ugly sin, our ugly, thorny, hateful sin, and he just kept on looking right on past that to what we were foreknown and loved to be, what we were called to be, what we were saved to be. What we were justified to be and sanctified to be and one day fully and finally in his presence to be in glory. And this gave Jesus such a joy and excitement that he he submitted in love to the Father and he ran the arduous trial of his life in this world, the perfect son of God in the midst of a bunch of sinners that hated him, that wanted to destroy him as he ran the the race of living out the law and perfection and going all the way to his passion to pour out his life unto death on the cross and to become sin for you and me, sinners, to take our shame and our pain and to remove all of our sins before the face of God Almighty, to be damned for an eternity on that cross so that we wouldn't be so that our thorny and stinky and rebellious lives that stick and prick and hurt ourselves and others can be made beautiful and lovely and give off the aroma of grace and life instead of the stench of death, of pride and selfishness and jealousy and indifference. You see... As born-again, captivated believers in the glorious grace of Almighty God, we have these eyes to see Christ, and that does something to us. As He looks past what we were to what we are in Him, we look past the trials and the suffering and the pain of this life to the one who saves us and sanctifies us that will lead us all the way home. You see, our spiritual vision allows us to look through all these things Even in the midst of the world, hurling rocks at us. Just like those rocks that were flying at Stephen's head. By the power of living faith, we believe God's promise of life in Christ again and again. And we endure by the power of that promise, even though our bodies die. Think about that. Just like Stephen, he died in faith. And Stephen's eyes of living faith didn't have to look nearly as far as Abraham's because Jesus was just right there in glory as he bore witness to the testimony of the resurrected Savior. Abraham had to have some long vision to see the coming of Christ. But you see, faith could not be given without the faithful one who came Jesus, the faithful second Adam. The Son of God, the Son of Man, He is the one who came forth who is absolutely, positively pleasing to God the Father. What glory, what love. He is the sum and the substance of our faith because God Almighty is well pleased with Him. Think about the Father's testimony over the Son again and again and again. The only time that we hear the voice of God the Father in the New Testament, He boomed out. Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So, if you have the gift of faith, resting alone in Christ, then you have his life report card. And that's good news. And you have the pleasure of Almighty God because you are attached to the one in whom he is well pleased. And his joy is your strength to endure the trials of this life. And that brings us to our final thought. What does every child of God have in common? Faith. So faith really is a family affair. A family affair with Christ at the head of the table. And that's our third and final thought. Living faith is a family affair that is fully revealed on the day of days. Living faith, it's this family affair. It it finds its fullest expression at the end of the age, the day of the Lord, the glory that approaches. That's what we see here in, in shadow, as it were, opening up the mystery of this in verses 39 and 40. The author writes, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. You see, brothers and sisters, the gift of faith involves individuals for sure. But it's always a family affair. We are always together in Christ, the body. The gift of faith in the Spirit, it's the deposit that guarantees our inheritance as the saints of God in Jesus. And what the author's pressing home here about all those of the household of faith, it's a little awkwardly worded in our English translation. But in the Greek and in the context, it's very clear. The Old Testament saints, they looked for the promised one to come, and they did so by the gift of faith, but they died still waiting for the day that he would come. And yet, In that faith, they participated in the the privileges and the blessings and the benefits of Christ's life and death and resurrection and ascension and the mystery of God, passing over former sins, awaiting the day of Christ. Maybe this will help illustrate it a bit. You know, as the youngest person in the family, in my family, I was slow. And my family were always waiting on me especially for the dinner table. And it used to drive my brothers crazy. But as a good Presbyterian family, you know, we tried to do things decently and in order. So it was always, no, 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 we cannot start until the whole family is at the table. So they waited. And then I'd show up, and we would sit down and enjoy the meal. And this was certainly true for the big celebrations of our lives, all together as a family. And you see, that's what the author of Hebrews is showing us here. He's saying, look, the whole family had to be gathered together, each and every member of Christ's body, even the last little lamb to come in. in the glory of this, all together, faith, the family affair, we're not Lone Rangers in this thing called the life of faith. No, we are one in Christ. So we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Individually and familiarly in our family, in our church. By faith we fix our eyes on Jesus. So let's do that. Look to Christ. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our our faith and our life. And and as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we also look for the, the glorious gathering of his body. That's what missions is about. That's what evangelism is about. That's what going forth and declaring the good news of Christ is about. Because here they come. More of the body being revealed, coming alive to the gift of faith in Christ. The gift of God's grace. So we look. For his second coming. When we'll all be gathered together. With eager anticipation to attend the wedding feast of the Lamb. Together. Forever. The body of Christ. And part of that glory will be vindication. Along with our glorification. You see. By faith, we eagerly anticipate vindication and glorification because as we press forth through this life of faith in Christ, filled with trials and persecutions and sorrows, they'll all be worth it because one day before the entire universe, God will declare to you in Christ, brothers and sisters, well done, good and faithful servant. It was all worth it. Enter into the joys of the kingdom of life with the family of God. So what can we take away from Hebrews 11? Our brothers and sisters, let's love and trust the Lord all the more. Keep our eyes upon him to run the race of faith, to be filled with joy, to rejoice in God our Savior. And Hebrews 11 shows us that faith is not just a feeling, but it's a way of life. It's active. It's it's obedience in motion. It's perseverance. That's what we're to be about as we run the race with Christ. And we must realize that to do this, we must be about the business of cultivating the life of faith. That's why worship and the Word is so important, prayer and the Word to fill up our hearts and souls and minds on the goodness of God and the promise of God and Christ. And as we do that, we cultivate a deeper faith. We press on and we remember that faith is essential to our relationship. And we're reminded day by day that God is well pleased with us because he is well pleased with his son. He's smiling down over us, he loves us perfectly. What a joy, what a thought. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for your word of life. We thank you for the word of Christ. We thank you for the promise, the promise of Jesus and in Jesus, that all who come to him, Messiah, Savior, will not be driven away, but will be received and know life, will know forgiveness, will know the glories of Jesus justification that we're declared righteous before you O oh lord may the glory of this shine bright before us that we would delight to tell others to share the good news to see the kingdom grow oh lord we pray that you would help us we are weak so please lord jesus intercede to the father even now And ask Him to send forth more the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives that we would press on and endure as we live by faith in this broken and hostile world. All to the praise of Your glorious grace, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.